0: Alright, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23. And by the grace of God, we're coming down the home stretch, aren't we, for Bible school. This is we're we're into the last, I want to say four to six weeks, right? We have a couple weeks in October if we need them. But I'm I'm hoping that by the end of September we will be done with all of the uh course loads. So by the grace of God, we're we're not gonna try to rush anything. We wanna make sure we get all we can out of these out of these opportunities, out of these hours. But uh, I I think we're gonna make it schedule wise. Matthew 23 and verse one, I'm gonna put the uh, outline up on the screen for you, for the chapter. And before we go through the outline, if you would pray, bow your heads and pray with me. Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight. Thank you for men like Ravi Zacharias and the many men and women still serving you today in so many ways, God. What a blessing it is to be edified by another member of the body of Christ. Father, guide us into all truth tonight. This chapter has a lot to say, and I pray you please let it grip our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right, tonight, Lord willing, I I don't think we're gonna make it all the way through this chapter, there's so much in it, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm gonna break it into three parts for you. So part one, Pride of the Hypocrites, verses one to 12. The pride of the hypocrites. Now, we could have several sub points to that, uh, but it's just an overall description of their pride. Next part, verses 13 to 33, perdition of the hypocrites. Jesus will begin to say, woe unto the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. So the perdition is their destruction. And uh, why the word woe means destruction or misery. So, Perdition goes along with that, and then the last part, pronouncement upon the house. Jesus is going to, he's going to mix their history with their future and talk about how all the blood of past generations, the righteous blood that has been shed, is going to be um, taken out or paid for by this current generation. So we'll. Dig into that at the end, verses 34 to 39. And it's a pronouncement upon the house is because he's, he speaks directly about the temple in that passage. All right, Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. Now, bear, please bear in mind what we have just studied this past Sunday night. Right, We talked about how the uh, Herodians, the Sadducees, and then a lawyer representing the Pharisees, they came and asked Jesus several questions. Jesus, let's just remind ourselves of the the general setting. Chapter 21, verse 23, it says there, when he was come into the temple, all right? So Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And then he's confronted, people are asking him about his authority. He gives a parable about the husbandman, that mistreat and kill the servants and then the son. And then he gives them another parable about the king preparing a marriage feast and the people not being willing to come. Then they show up, these various groups show up in the temple asking Jesus these questions and he shuts them down one after another. And now that flows right into to what we're reading. He's still in the temple and it says, he spake to the multitude. Now, from what we saw in chapter 22, just to refresh your memory, look at verse 22 chapter 22 verse 22 it says when they had heard these words they marveled and left him and went their way so this is the herodians and it looks as if there might have been a pharisee or two with them but that's mainly the herodians after they got the tax issue cleared up they left but when it comes to the sadducees and the pharisees and the lawyers that were there mind you when we say lawyers that's they they did function somewhat like lawyers do today, but a lawyer in a Jewish context is somebody who was responsible for teaching the law, not just the judicial side of it and the court system, uh, the legal system, but also the religious law. So a lawyer carried much more clout back in those days. But after Jesus answered the Sadducees and Pharisees, it doesn't say that they left. I can't find that in In the Gospels. Maybe I'm missing something, but it looks as if they all stayed. Now, maybe a few of them did trickle out, but the reason I'm pointing this out, what Jesus is about to launch into in chapter 23 is one of the most scathing rebukes that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. It is brutal. And it looks as if he is saying these things with that targeted uh, group right there in front of him. Now, it is possible that they had, that the majority of those Pharisees and Sadducees had trailed off and those scribes had gone. And, and Jesus is just speaking about them to the general population, the common man, and the, the disciples of his that were still in the temple. It could be that he is talking about them, even though they've gone, and warning the rest of the people about their behavior and their doctrine. But it looks to me, and I think you'll see it as we go, that they are standing there. And You've got to remember for now almost three and a half years, we're down to the last week of Jesus' life. For three and a half years, he's been putting up with their hypocritical behavior. And now they've come, tried to get him with all these questions. I think enough's enough. He's putting his foot down and he really lets them have it in this chapter. So verse two, saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now this is to say that they hold the same position That Moses had back in the day Uh, when Moses was on the earth the people of Israel looked to him for spiritual leadership and now the Pharisees and the scribes people look to them for spiritual leadership so they occupy Moses's seat in that sense verse three all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe so notice that Jesus is saying they can respect the position honor the position these people are sitting in a position of authority. And they, when they speak truthfully about the words of God, right, when they're giving you something that matches up with what Moses said, by all means, you honor the position. But you do not have to honor the individual person occupying the position. And here's why. All, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, because they have that official position, that observe and do. Right now obviously it has to it can't be the traditions and all the extra stuff they added but when it lined up with what needed to be done then do it but do not ye after their works for they say and do not these men were hypocrites so they even though they might have preached some things that were right and taught some things that were true these men were not following through with it so Jesus says don't don't follow the pattern that they've given you and in that case right you don't honor the individual you honor the position in verse four for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born now bind they bind heavy burdens what does this mean they force them on the people they we, the fancy English word for this is enjoin they enjoin the the people to do these things now back in the day it was very popular for the Pharisees and the scribes to say to use the phrase binding and loosing. You might remember Jesus used that phrase a few times as well, and I think he did that as a reaction to how the Pharisees and scribes were misusing their position of authority and they were creating these very rigorous, difficult, heavy to be carried laws, asking way too much of the people and binding it on them, so forcing it and threatening the people with severe punishment if they didn't do everything that these these Jewish religious leaders were making up and adding to uh, what Moses had, had given the people. And then also when it says at the end of the verse, it says, uh, they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So that would be the loosing part of it. So they bind it, that is they, They make an official declaration, you have to do this or else. And then to loose it would be to say, you are not under any obligation. You are free from doing this or from the punishment of this thing. And these people would, because they were making up these traditions and enforcing it through their own will, not trying to follow God's will, then the loosing, the forgiving part of it also became very arbitrary. And let me give you a couple examples of the types of things that these Pharisees were, were binding on the people. Uh, we read a little bit about it in, in Matthew 15, in Mark 7, uh, where Jesus is confronted about the traditions of the elders. Why don't you and your disciples follow these traditions, the washing of hands before you eat and so forth? So Jesus mentioned there, they, well, the, the scripture mentions there. They'd also made up other traditions like washing the tables, cups, pots, brazen vessels. They had lots of, of, I want to say annoying, I think would be the best word, annoying little things that the people had to do. And they connected it with spirituality, that you had to wash a table in order to be spiritual. But they also had other grievous things that they made the people do. One thing that the Pharisees were were not all Pharisees, right? In a biblical survey class, we covered that there were different kinds of Pharisees, but some of them, they thought it was spiritual to beat their head against a wall. Now you've heard the phrase, I feel like I'm beating my head against a brick wall. The Pharisees would actually do that. I'm not quite sure what the purpose was, if they were trying to, you know, knock the bad ideas out or what the, what was going on. But they would actually have other people follow that example. Uh, some Pharisees would walk with their eyes closed. And they did this so that they wouldn't look upon a woman with lust. And of course, they would bump into things. So they were bruised and bloodied sometimes because they'd knock their head or their uh, shin up against something. And it really was, it made life very difficult. But then they were asking the people, forcing the people to live by these things. Now, at the end of verse four, it says they will not move them with one of their fingers. I think there's a couple ways that you can understand the will not move them. Uh, That is, they force the people to follow this very strict, useless lifestyle, but then they will not pitch in to help that person carry that heavy burden. So they say, do all these difficult things, but you're on your own. And that's very possible that it's referring to that. Uh, The other thing it can refer to is that they force the people to do these difficult things, but some of the Pharisees would not actually follow through and do those things themselves. So they put the burden on other men's shoulders, but they themselves won't carry it unless somebody's watching. And if somebody's watching, then they'll pick it up and put on a good show. Now, I think there was probably a little bit of both, right? I think both interpretations, both understandings are applicable. In verse 5, it says here, "...but all their works they do for to be seen of men." So you see that would lend weight to that second understanding that they won't move one of those burdens until somebody's watching. "...all their works they do for to be seen of men." They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. All right, so let me first, I want to show you another verse real quick. Before we talk about the phylacteries and the and the um, enlarged borders, take your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. I don't want to rush too quickly through the practical lesson we can learn here. 1 Peter 5 and... I really need to go back to this because it is your attendance code for this evening. 1 <coughs> Peter chapter 5 and verse 3. So this attitude of, can I say, barking orders at the people, making their life very difficult, asking them to do more than is necessary, and making them think that their relationship with God depends on doing all these strange little things. And then even themselves not doing them, just telling the other people to do it. That is that is the exact opposite of how a New Testament minister, any minister, regardless of the dispensation, that's not how God's people are supposed to go about it. Especially those in leadership. First Peter five verse three, it says here, neither as being lords. I'm sorry, he's talking to elders, right, the leaders of the church. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, so God's family. Now. Let that word lords linger in the back of your mind. That's not the position we hold. But being in samples to the flock. We would, that's old English. That's, we would say examples. So if we are going to say, this is how it should be done. Number one, make sure that it's a biblical uh, uh, commandment. That's something from scripture, not from your tradition, not from your preference. And the number two, if you're going to say it, make sure that you are willing to do it. And maybe I can say number three, if you're going to command the people to do it, help them with it. Get down there and bear that burden with them and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right, let's so come back now to Matthew 23. And we'll talk a little bit about these phylacteries. Let me, I'll move the attendance code. The phylacteries, that's a Greek transliteration. If you take it straight from the Greek into English, it comes out. Phylacteries. All right, so that's why, and this word only appears once in the entire Bible, and it's only in Matthew's Gospel right here. Now, you, you can find, I want to say, um, indirect references to this type of thing in other places, but the word phylacteries only shows up here. Now, the Hebrew way of referring to this is a tefillin, a tefillin, and I've actually had the Opportunity. I met a Jew one time in Pensacola, where I went to Bible school. I met a man that was wearing one of. He had a Teflon on. So this phylactery, uh, the word itself means a guard case, a guard case. Think of it like the protective cover for your phone, right? That would be somewhat of a phylactery, I guess. Uh, A phylactery, let let me, maybe a phone cover is not the best illustration for that because a phylactery also carries with it the idea of a lucky charm, right? So it's it's guarding you. It's something worn to protect you from danger or disease. So it's not just to protect something important or delicate, but it, it seemed to have some sort of superstitious type of power element to it. So that's a phylactery. Now, the the Jews, they, I'm going to show you the verse now, come to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me see if I can, I'm going to put some other verses up here. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 8. Um, let me show you, there's a couple places in the Old Testament where this shows up, but there is a biblical reason that the Jews had this Tephalin or this what, what we read in Matthew as the phylactery, this guard case. There's a couple of reasons they wore it. Now, some Jewish people do not think that Deuteronomy 6 verse 8, you can also see it in Exodus 13, they don't think that this should be taken literally. Uh, but then obviously there are Jews that, as you're going to see now, I'm going to show you some pictures of it. Uh, some do take it literal. I, I myself, if I if I'm an Old Testament Jew, I kind of think this should be literal, but anyway, I'll I'll leave that up to you to decide. Deuteronomy 6 verse 8, it says, And thou, he's talking about the words of the Lord, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. So some people say this is just metaphorical. You're just supposed to have the word of God ready at hand on your mind, that kind of thing, to do it, to think about it, meditate on it. But look at verse 9, thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and on thy gates. I I guess you could also take that metaphorically, say the word of God should surround your home and everything you do should be uh, ordered by the words of the Lord. But writing it on your gate, that that sounds like it's fairly literal. I don't see any reason to take that metaphorically. Uh, So what the Jews would do is they would take four little pieces of parchment. Parchment is a dried animal skin that, that uh, people used for writing uh, in, in ancient times. They would take four small pieces of parchment and they would write out four different verses, on one on each, each, each little scrap of parchment. And the four verses I've given you on the screen there, Exodus chapter 13, uh, verse 2. And I'll let you look at these later. Exodus 13, verse 11, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. So what the Jews would do is write that write that write ver- those individual verses, one on each parchment, and then they would roll that little parchment up and put it into either a clean animal skin, uh, you know, the clean animal, or into a leather box. And then for the front lip between their eyes, they would actually strap it to their head right below the hairline and they would make sure that it was centered right between their eyes. So it would be a front lip between their eyes. Let me give you a, a picture of that now. Let me know if you need those verses again and I'll put them back up. Uh, this is the phylactery. All right, So you can see this gentleman, it's quite pronounced. This is, I think, what, what Jesus was getting at when it says they make broad their phylacteries, they would have a bigger box on their head and they were doing it just to draw attention to themselves. Now, if you're curious as to what was going on in that box, let me show you. Um, And again, if you wanna see these pictures again, please feel free, I can, I need to see. Hello, Christoph. Um, If you guys need any of this information put back up, please just pop a message into the comment section. I'll try to pay attention to that. But inside the phylactery, this is what it looked like, or the teflon, right? If you want to use that term, that's more of the Hebrew uh, term for it. But inside the box, you can see the little parchments um, that they would roll up and put in there. Now, they also were supposed to wear one on their, on their hand. Now, what it would do is it would start on their hand and then there would be straps and the same box idea would be found on just under the bicep. And they would, I'll show you a picture now, but they'd wrap it around their arm real tight and then have the box here. And instead of having these four verses on four different parchments, for the one on their arm, they would put those same four verses on one parchment, but in four columns. And the reason they put it on their arm was so that, now you can see here, when you put your arm down, it's close to your rib cage and your chest. This way, the words of the Lord would be close to your heart. That was their thinking on it. So let me show you what that one looks like. This this guy, he had been wearing the phylactery for a while and now he's taking the straps off and you can see how the, the marks are uh, gonna remain there for a little while. But it's the same box idea. That couldn't have been comfortable. And when you start making that broader, right, your arms are gonna, you're gonna walk around like you have a steroid issue or something. It's gonna be quite awkward. All right, now for the enlarging of the borders of their garments. Uh, forgive me, I, I couldn't find a really good picture of that. I I didn't have enough time to spend looking um, for that. But I think it's pretty simple to, to picture in your mind. Come to Numbers chapter 15. And I'll show you where the Jews were commanded to have this border on their garment. So you can see what's happening here. The Pharisees, they took something that I think God did command, right, to have this teflon and to have the word of the Lord near their near their head, near their uh, hand. And they have gone a little too far with it, quite too far with it. And they're making a show of it. And it's the same thing with this border of the garment. Numbers 15 verse 37. Numbers 15 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that you may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and that you seek not after your own heart, and your own eyes, after which ye use to go a-whoring." that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. So there was supposed to be a ribbon of blue around the bottom of their garments. But what the Pharisees were doing was making that broader. And because of this, their garments were getting longer. So take your Bible, look at Mark chapter 12, and you'll see in Mark 12, Uh, there's a slightly different description given of this saying here. Mark 12, verse 38. It says, And he said unto them in his doctrine, in his teaching, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces. So we'll talk more about those salutations in a moment. But you can see the long clothing. The reason it got so long is because they had the broader the bigger ribbon of blue around the bottom, and they were doing it just to show off. They actually started to think, if I have a bigger ribbon, if I have a bigger box sticking off of my head, then I'm more serious. And that is just not the case, guys. But, all right, Matthew 23, verse 6. Jesus continues his description of the pride of the hypocrites. Verse 6, And love the uppermost rooms at feasts, now, feasts, these aren't religious gatherings necessarily, right? There are feasts that had a religious theme, but the uppermost rooms, this could, anybody that's put together a social event, they have, there's generally a table where all the big shots sit. And these Pharisees and scribes, they love the uppermost room. That way everybody can see, look, that those are the big shots. They're the upper crust of society, if you want to call them that. And then the last part, and the chief seats in the synagogues. <clears throat> so there's your religious side of things. Now, in the Jewish synagogue, what you typically would have, now remember, this isn't the temple. It's a synagogue, which the New Testament local church, it, it very much looked like a synagogue in the beginning, right? Because that's most of the early Christians were, were Jews, especially in the book of Acts. So they kind of adopted a few of those patterns of behavior for the local church. But what would happen is the, the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, they would sit up in front of the people and then to their back behind them would be an ark or a chest. And inside the chest is the, the scrolls that they would be reading from, usually containing scripture. Also the some of the traditions and things that had been compiled over the years probably found within those boxes. but these Pharisees sit up in front, their back turned to the word of the Lord and everybody's sitting in front of them looking upon them. Now, guys, I, that's kind of what happens in, in our churches and or any church for that matter. You have the pastor up in the front in the pulpit and everybody's watching him. So that in and of itself isn't really the issue. The problem with these guys is why they wanted these chief seats, why they wanted to sit up on the platform. They didn't want to, it's not as if they were there to minister. They were there to be seen, and that's the issue. Uh, we don't do it in our church, but in, in some churches, and again, it's not always a wicked thing, but it it certainly can. The flesh, all flesh is grass, so there's no need to put this extra temptation, I think, in people's way. But in some churches, you know, they have all the... Elders, all the leaders of a church during a church service, they sit up on the platform. So you'd have the man preaching at the pulpit, but then you have the assistant pastors, the deacons, the elder, everybody that that has a name tag sits up at the front and everybody's watching that. Now, I I don't really know what what edifying function that serves to have them all sitting up there. But I know for a lot of, and it's not one denomination that does that. Several of them do that. All right, now verse 7, another thing that these hypocrites loved. It says, and greetings in the markets, and to be called men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Now, going all the way back to the days of the kings in, in Israel. So we're going, oh, that'll be six, 700 years, 800 years before this time. So there's quite a bit of tradition mixed into this. That Some said that even in the days of Jehoshaphat, now you won't find any scriptural evidence for this, but they would say that Jehoshaphat, you do read about him having teaching priests that he would send out to help the people of Judah and Israel. Uh, But tradition says that when one of these teaching priests would pass by, Jehoshaphat would say, Rabbi, Rabbi, Master, Master, Father, Father, and would lavish these priests, these teaching priests with these, great swelling titles now the word rabbi it it stems from the hebrew rab and it means r-a-b rab and uh, it means master but we're talking somebody master as in the sense of you're the slave he's the master he's going to tell you everything you need to do he's your final authority and these guys loved as they walked not into the synagogue but in the market they would love for people to give them these great swelling titles that came with, what, 800 years worth of tradition? That if you got this title, if somebody said this to you, it means that you've achieved some great sense of honor in that, in that community. So he says, they love greetings in the, or well, I'm, I'm working from verse six, they love these things. They love greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. Uh, in verse number, 8, he says, but be, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Now, what Jesus is rebuking here is not necessarily the title or the word rabbi. Right? There, there might be an instance, if you think about the master slave relationship which you do find mentioned in the New Testament. We're not going to dig into all the politics behind that. But th- there, there are some scenarios where it would be an, a proper title. But these guys, they want that title simply f- to get puffed up. They want other people to honor them. And they want to be seen of men as, and heard of men as, as being something great. That Jesus is now forbidding that. Don't walk around casting out these these undeserved titles, making these people think they're something that they're not. They are not the master of your soul. They are not the final authority for your life, although they thought they were. He says, for one is your master, even Christ. So the, the one who can tell you what you need to do in every instance is the Messiah. And then he says this great part, and all ye are brethren, this is why we call each other brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so when the need arises Uh, now people call me pastor Mike I don't that's not required of anybody I I I don't have to have that title I am a pastor I am Mike so I don't mind the title pastor Mike but I don't expect to be walking through the markets and have people say and stop bow to a knee, which some of the people in these days did and say, pastor, pastor, I, it's, I don't need the title for that. It properly describes what I'm doing, but it's certainly not an obligatory thing. Um, I'm perfectly happy to be called brother. That's, that's what I am to any other saved person. Uh, if I can just slip one quick thought in here. Notice all ye are brethren, even the apostle Peter. And I say, why is that a big deal? Well, according to the Catholic tradition, Peter is not just a brother. He's much higher than that. He is, according to the Roman Catholic Church, he is the replacement of Christ on the earth, which makes him, the Pope, the master. And uh, we'll get more into that when we have our our cults class next year, uh, their official teaching on that. But according to this, Peter's right down there with all the other brethren. In verse 9, he says this, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. So much of the same principle, right, the same idea is going to apply here. They're calling these earthly men father. In what sense? In a religious sense. In a religious sense. That is, they were claiming to have this ultimate authority over the people. Just like a father is the head of the home and the buck stops with him. He makes the final decisions in the home. These people were saying, we will tell you right from wrong. We will make these decisions. And they were claiming way too much authority. So he points out, guys, there's one father, the one up in heaven. He's the ultimate authority don't be throwing around these religious titles of father father now you can see how this might fit into uh, again the roman catholic church they refer to the priest as father so-and-so now i'm not going to get too carried away i have in the past made quite a big deal of that and i have shown catholics this verse many times to say listen what you're doing in your church is is against the words of christ but again Let's be careful to, to leave it within its context. There might be a Catholic priest who is not proud and vain. He, I, I think he's wrong and confused about his doctrine, but he may not be uh, full of himself. He may not be seeking these great titles, and they are referring to their pastor as father. And, and there's actually some biblical support for that, believe it or not. Let me explain what I mean by that. Biologically speaking, I am a father. So for Amy to say, hello, father, now that sounds a little bit weird because I'm just dad to her. but And I've actually heard a preacher explain it like that. Say, don't call any man your father, you call him dad, which that's, I don't think that's what Jesus is addressing here. Uh, but I'm biologically, I'm a father. So that's a fitting title. Spiritually speaking, I'm also a father, right? I have begotten people through the gospel. The apostle Paul used this. Um, Matter of fact, let me show it to you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter four. I I think it's worth seeing so that you can, so that we have a good balance on this. 1 Corinthians four and verse 15. 1 Corinthians four. How are we doing on time? Not bad. 1 Corinthians four, verse 15. Paul says, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. You know that Paul referred to Timothy and Titus as his sons in the faith. So if if you have led somebody to Christ, you have begotten them through the gospel, or if you are instructing them in the ways of Christ, in how they should behave, you are also performing the role and the function of a father in that you're raising spiritually raising that person through discipleship. So in a spiritual sense, the word father is applicable. And that's why in the Catholic Church they use that, that term. Now again, it can be abused, right? Even as as a Baptist or an assemblies of God or a non-denominate. You anybody can abuse the title. Anybody can start to get puffed up and call me this just, you know, because they want to hear how good it sounds. So let's remember what Jesus is trying to get across a person who wants these titles thrown on them and wants to take upon themselves more authority than God has given them. That's what's being rebuked and forbidden. All right, so back in Matthew 23, verse nine, call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father, which is in heaven. So in, instead of looking to God for guidance, wisdom, affirmation, validation, people were looking to these Pharisees and they were happy to take that upon themselves. And that's what Jesus is saying, guys. You, that, that, that is, that's completely anti-God to do something like that. Verse 10, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Now, this is very similar to verse 8, right? He's already said, one is your master, even Christ. I think there's a slight difference here, though, between be not called rabbi, be not, neither be called masters, the master of verse eight, I think it's more about the will, the will. Master as in, I will tell you what to do. I will make your decisions for you. The master of verse 10, I think has more to do with a teacher or a guide. And if you look at the original language, I think that'll, it's, that truth will bear itself out. So this master of verse 10, more like we would say a headmaster, Or, to use a biblical phrase, Galatians, what is it, three, a schoolmaster, right? The law is our schoolmaster. So master in that sense of somebody guiding and teaching you in in a classroom setting. So in verse 8, the master of the will. But in verse 10, master as it relates to the intellect, somebody that would teach you. Now, in the New Testament, right, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4, he said that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So when it comes to a master as in a guide or a teacher, we're supposed to teach others, right? Jesus said, go and teach all nations. So the function of teaching is not wicked. And the title of I am a teacher, I hope that's not wicked because that's what I'm trying to do tonight. The problem here again is somebody who says, I'm the final authority. Everything you need to know is found in me. And I want, I demand of you that you give me this title when I walk by. I want you to recognize my, my authority and my position. That's that's the, the problem. We recognize that ultimately our teacher is Christ. All I'm trying to do is communicate to you what the master said. So am I performing the function of teaching? Yes. Am I a teacher? Yes. I am doing this as a servant, both to Christ, trying to be obedient to him, and to help you and anybody else that might require guidance. But I'm doing that by simply communicating as a vessel, right? Taking the words of Christ flow through me onto the next guy. All right, so verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. That flows perfectly into into the point I've been trying to make here. So, We've already talked about the idea of of, uh, the leadership within the body of Christ. The leadership within the local church should be that of service. That They should be servants to the people. They came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's the idea we should carry with us. That was back in chapter 20, verse 26 to 28. So I'll not repeat everything there. Verse 12, it says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. So that's what's happening with the Pharisees and scribes. They puff themselves up. They're going to hit, come down flat. Now, in a temporal sense, that can certainly happen within your own life, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It can happen in your own life. Just read the story of Haman. You'll, you'll see it as it happened there. But at the very least, it's going to happen at the judgment, right? Somebody might exit this physical life thinking, that they were really something. Then they get to the judgment and find out God's not impressed with them. And then of course the opposite of that is true. It says at the end of verse 12, he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And the humbling of course goes along with the service, helping others with with um, the authority that Christ has given you and the teaching, the the learning that he's given you. So he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Take your Bible, look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. And while you're getting that, this gives me a chance to slip something in for Amy. Amen. I had to get one in for her. I like that button. 1 Timothy 5, an old man figuring out all these technological gadgets. Man, this is too much fun. You, you, you gotta at least give me a little bit of grace to do that kind of stuff. 1 Timothy 5. And look with me at the end of the chapter, verse 24. Now, this is about ordaining a man into the ministry. And uh, Paul is talking about how you don't do it quickly. Take your time. You got to get to know the guy first. And then he's expounding on that a little bit. Verse 24, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. So investigate the guy as best you can, but understand that you're not going to see everything about the guy. He might have some hidden sins that won't come out until after this life. But then again, other side of the coin, verse 25, likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So it could be even that in this life, the service, the humble service that you provide for the people around you it could be that it gets recognized in this life, that somebody else sees it and publicly points it out. That's not why you were doing it. And most of the time when that happens, it feels a bit awkward because you weren't doing it for that. And and you want to tell them, man, just, just shut up, stop talking about it. I, I, I didn't do this for people to look. And I've had to learn to be careful about that, right? I, I, I really have. I... Over the years, I've tried to get better about that because some people really don't want the attention. Um, that being said, it's encouraging to hear about so-and-so serving in this or that way. And it provokes others to love and to good works. So it's, it's a tough balance to to find sometimes, but sometimes you see it going on and there it is and and thank God for it. And in that sense, he humbled himself, he served and he gets exalted in that, the people appreciate what he's doing and they're able to express their appreciation and thanksgiving for him. But then guys, if people don't see everything that you're doing, and there's a very high probability that we don't, I, I often think, man, it, I wish I really wish you could know what I know about our church members. I know plenty of things, you know, plenty of fail, failings, plenty of areas where we come short as individuals and and as a church. We we are going to continue to strive and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. But I also know about a lot of a lot of. I think the best way to say it is good works people going out of their way to be christians and i am not going to tell their stories (laughs) like i just said trying to use discretion but there are there are a number of them and their stories may never come out on this side of glory but one day they will so when jesus says you humble himself if you humble yourself you'll be exalted in due time right whenever that happens and if you're serving for the right reason you aren't looking for any reward in this life, or even you're not doing it for the rewards in the next life. You're doing it because it's a privilege to get to serve the Lord. All right, so come back to Matthew 23, verse 13. And for that good preaching, I say- Amen. That's right. Matthew 23 and verse 13. All right, Jesus says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So now we've launched into part two, section two of our outline. And we're going to deal with the perdition of the hypocrites, their destruction, their misery. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, notice the exclamation mark. That's not said calmly. That's not said mildly. That's said with a little bit of a, a little bit of a, can I say punch behind it? Not physically, mind you. He's not hitting them, but he, Jesus is really making this point come clear. And notice how he, it's a direct address. It looks that way, right? Woe unto you. Now, I, I get it. He might be talking about that crowd, generally speaking, even though the scribes and Pharisees might be elsewhere. But the way it's worded, it sure does look like. And you couldn't blame anybody for thinking that scribes and Pharisees, at least some of them, were standing there in the temple listening to this. And wow, does this get tough. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. All right. So the first part, or let's say the the middle part of the verse, ye neither go in yourselves. That's not a surprise, right? Because They don't even have the least things of the law right. And they're teaching men incorrect things and they're hypocrites on top of it. So it doesn't surprise us to find that. And then neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Well, how does that work? They were shutting up the kingdom of heaven to those people because here comes people that are interested in spiritual things. And if you're interested in the things of God, where do you go? You go to the spiritual authorities, the people in Moses' seat. And what do you hear when you get there? Uh, Here's a bunch of useless religious rituals that you need to follow that we made up, and they're right because we say they're right. You need to bow down and give us these great swelling titles and honor and do all of this, and then you'll make it. No, the people are getting bad information. So they come seeking to find the way of truth, the way of God, and they're getting the way of the Pharisees. And they're getting a corrupt version of religion. Furthermore, the Pharisees and scribes specifically of this generation would have also been teaching people that this Jesus guy, he says he's the Messiah. He's not. He's completely not. Don't listen to him. Pay him no mind. So... They are offering the people corrupt religion and hardening their minds and hearts against Christ. So they're not allowing the people to to enter in. In verse 14, it says here, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer." A couple things we need to say about verse 14. In many of the new, newer English translations, verse 14 is not there. And when this is not manuscript evidence class, so I'm not going to spend long on this. When you look at the older Greek manuscripts that we have access to, in many of those older ones, you don't that verse, this verse does not appear. Now there are some ancient manuscripts, older manuscripts that do have this verse. All right. And you can find it in some... Uh, now, if you've had Manuscript Evidence class, you'll know the difference between a manuscript and a translation. There are ancient translations. So not in the Greek language, but there's Latin and uh, Coptic and other languages that have this verse in there. Uh, so there, there are um, manuscripts that bear this verse. There is a reason, right? There's a, there's a, a solid historical reason to have the verse included in the text but i will say this the the bigger the big question to be answered is really not should it be here but in a lot of those older manuscripts where it it is found in those older translations this verse comes in between 12 and 13 instead of so it should this should go well it, you just flip 13 and 14 around and then you'd have the order that most of those manuscripts have. So if there's really a question as far as the manuscript evidence that would need to be answered, it's where, where do we place this verse? As far as the truth of the verse, there's no struggle with this because in Mark 12 verse 40 and Luke 20 verse 47, it's the same, pretty much the same verse is, is found in those two other gospels. So we, there's no struggle as far as the truth of what's being said. It's verified by these other gospel writers. All right, so let's dig into what it says. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, ye devour widows' houses. Now, this can be linked to the next phrase and for a pretense make long prayer. It could be that the Pharisees and scribes were abusing their position of authority. Here this lady comes. She's lost her husband. And which she can't maintain the farm anymore. She can't keep the house anymore. So they say, listen, give us, sign the house over to us, sign the property over to us, and we'll pray for you. We'll go down there to the, to the temple and we'll make these long prayers and we'll ask God to fix it all. So it, And by the way, when you look into the 12, 13, 14, 1500s, 1600s, this was a major issue in the Catholic Church they were also doing something very similar to that but let's keep it in this historical context for now uh it's quite possible that the pharisees were doing that and combining the two give me your house for the prayers but we can also separate the two it could be that they were i think the what the best way to understand it in modern terminology is to say that they would say give me power of attorney Sorry, bless your heart, you poor widow. You don't know what to do with your property. Just sign it over to me. And these people, these widows would trust these men thinking that these spiritual leaders have my best interest in mind and they're going to take care of my property and take care of me, make sure I'm okay. And then these Pharisees wouldn't, they, they would have everything signed over to them and then devour it. Use the property, sell it off, whatever, for their own personal gain. And then also for a pretense, that's pretending, they would fake it, for a pretense, make long prayer. So they would stand up. We already saw this in Matthew 6. They, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the streets, and they, would, they just wanna be seen of men. They go on and on and on. And again, this happens still today, right? People, you gotta watch, on, you gotta watch out for who you call who you call on in church to pray, right? To lead us in prayer. Because some folks, you it's like they're catching up on their prayer life when they get called on in church. Uh, there was actually a guy one time, D.L. Moody, famous evangelist in the uh, 1800s. He, they were going to take up an offering. And he asked a deacon. you know, He had the deacons and some of the ushers come forward. And he said, uh, Mr. Deacon, whatever his name was, can you lead us in prayer? And this guy went on and on. And I... My memory fails a little bit if it was ten or fifteen minutes, but this guy was going on and on in prayer. And Brother Moody finally he lifted his head up and he said, "All right, folks, we're going to go ahead on with the offering while this deacon finishes praying." <laughs> he, it, it was it was pretty obvious that he was kind of making a show of it. So it's certainly something the the Pharisaical or Pharisaical I don't know how you'd say that either way. the the behavior of the Pharisees has. Uh, it's still around in some aspects. All right, he says, for ye devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. Greater damnation. It is, how, how, how bad is it that you abuse anyone, that you cheat anyone out of their property, right? Out of their home, that's bad. But how wicked do you have to be to do it to a widow? It's one thing to try to demand authority from the people and honor from people, but then to use something like prayer to do it, man, that's corrupting one of the most sacred things we have. And that's why Jesus says they're worthy of a greater damnation. We know, biblically speaking, widows they, widows and orphans, they hold a special place very close to God's heart. You go messing with them, and uh, you're asking for trouble. Now, what is greater damnation? Man, damnation's bad enough, right? Damnation, we're talking about being thrown into the lake of fire. How does it get worse than that? How can there be greater damnation? And the answer to that is I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Is one part of the lake of fire hotter than the other part? Is one part darker, right? He talked about outer darkness. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe once you're in the lake of fire, everybody looks at you and 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 makes fun of you, mocks you. I, I, I have no clue. I really don't. Um, you see this though in a couple other places where this, this idea of a worse, can we say different categories, different levels of punishment by the way, if you think of this the other way around, there are different levels of rewards for those that do good. So it kind of makes sense that it works works in the other direction. But in Revelation 22, verse 11, you read this. It says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And then it continues on. So there's obviously different categories for lost people. Some are just unjust. Some are also filthy, which is a whole other set of issues. So I, I'm sorry, I can't explain what greater damnation entails. All I know is, thank God I'm saved. Don't want to deal with that. Verse 15 Woe unto you, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Wow. Twofold more the child of hell. What a brutally honest assessment of the situation. You know, most Christians wouldn't allow their pastor to say something like that about people, would they? That's rough. That is a rough statement. He says, You guys, you guys are missionaries. They were. They would compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Isn't that a shame? That the hypocrites, man, they'll stand up and pray for a long time, and they'll go a long way to make one proselyte, and yet we have the truth, and we won't spend any time in prayer and go anywhere to save a soul. But these guys, they compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Now, in these days, there were two sorts of proselytes that they were making. Uh, they were called one, one. Group was referred to as the Proselytes of the Gate, Proselytes of the Gate, and there were some. Now, now remember, not every Pharisee was as wicked as the ones being addressed here. There were some that had, you know, good intentions and were trying to do right. But these Proselytes of the Gate, they would go out to the Gentiles and try to convince them to follow what history refers to as the commands given to Noah. And there, there are different um, explanations behind this, but there were seven different commands that were generally listed. Things like no idolatry, don't murder, don't blaspheme, no theft. Things, very general things. Abide by these and you're okay. So it was just teaching Gentiles the right way to live. And honestly, I mean, without the crucified Christ, you know, to make these sort of proselytes, that sounds like a pretty good thing. But then there was another group and this is the, what they called the proselytes of righteousness. Now this was the title they were using and these Pharisees would go out and basically try to make a carbon copy of themselves in, in the people they were proselytizing, people they we would say evangelizing, right? They were trying to uh, persuade and convince them. They would go to these Gentiles and say, listen, you need to be Jewish and you need to be Jewish just like me, You need to get circumcised, you need to throw away all your customs, take on my customs, and just be my kind of Jewish. And it was reported in history that, that these Pharisees would actually baptize their converts. So they say it's not enough to just be circumcised, but you have to also be dipped um, in order to be a proper uh, follower now of, of, this, of this new religion. So these people were asked to adopt this version of Judaism. Now, it says that in the end, they become twofold more the child of hell than the person that led them to this this false religion. And by the way, I think it's the proselytes of righteousness, which is an ironic term to use. I think that's the group that Jesus is really targeting here. But how do they become twofold more the child of hell? Well, there's two ways to think of this number one you could say that they have forsaken their gentile culture and taken on this corrupt perverted jewish culture thinking it's the way of righteousness now it's one thing to to be in darkness and call it darkness it's another thing to step into darkness and call it light and they thought what I've found now this is the way of righteousness, and it wasn't. It, it was just the way of an outward show. So they didn't they didn't find proper religion. That's a problem. And the Pharisees would have taught them in this day, don't don't follow that Jesus guy. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. So twofold, right? It, you could see it that way. But the problem with that understanding is that's where the Pharisees were already at, right? So. I appreciate the two in that, but twofold more. I'm not sure that, that would that it would satisfy what Jesus is saying. So I'm I'm going to go with this explanation. Um, the Pharisees were born into this culture, right? They didn't, as far as we know, there weren't a lot of these Pharisees that actively were convinced, right? That they were they They weren't this way, and then one day they looked at the evidence and said, "I want to be this way." So they were they were this way because of culture and maybe some convenience, but not by conviction. But these Gentiles that were converting under their under the leadership of these Pharisees, they are now they are the way they are. They have adopted this Jewish culture by conviction. and as as my experience, conviction, Trump's culture every day of the week. If you are the way you are just because that's the way you are, that's how it's always been. I'm, I am this way because I am this way. And you really don't, you haven't thought it through. Well, you could be probably, probably you could be swayed. But if you have decided, you've looked at all the evidence, this is the way you are through conviction. Boy, you're rooted in, you're, you're deep into it. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Twofold more, the child of hell. Either way, it's bad, right? Verse 16, I don't think we're gonna make it. I think this is a good place to pull up for the for the night. Verse 16, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. He's gonna start talking about the, the oaths that they were making. They would swear by the temple, swear by the altar. So we'll get into that next time. Like I said, I, I don't wanna rush through this stuff. There's a lot to it. So I hope this has helped. Um, you guys let me know if you have any questions. We got that comment sec- section working there. So I'm going to pray. And if anybody has a question, you can slip it in. I know the power's off right now in potch. So as far as I can see, my family's watching. Christoph, are you still with us, man? I see, I, I see here on the screen there's six other people watching. Man, God bless you folks. For, <laughs> I, I don't know if you're all in potch, right? Maybe there's a few people watching elsewhere. I don't know, but, but thank you. Thank you for being that faithful little remnant that pitched up even with the power off. I do appreciate it. Christoph, I don't think you're in in pot right now, are you? I think if I remember correctly, you're you're elsewhere. Either way, been praying for you, brother. Good to have you out for Bible school tonight. All right, I'm gonna pray. If you have a question, slip it in. Otherwise, we'll close for the evening. Father, thank you for this privilege to open the Word of God tonight. And Lord, you have some very harsh things to say, but Lord, at the same time. We can learn from these mistakes that, that uh, those people were making. Help us, Lord, to be genuine. Help us, God, to have the right motives as we try to serve the people around us. Lord, help us not to, not to come under the impression that we're impressing you with the small man-made traditions that we keep. Lord, help us to focus in on what you said in your word and how we can please you and how we can help others. Thank you for your help tonight with all of this. And I pray that you please let these things sink deep into our hearts. Let them take root in our lives and change us. Father, I I thank you for the ones that have been able to tune in live. And I know a lot of folks will listen to this later on. I pray let this be a help to them. God, please help Francois tomorrow. Bring us back tomorrow ready to learn more from you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. No more questions come through. You guys have a great evening. Take care.